Hello and welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Melanie. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be a part of your podcast. That's awesome. Now, can you tell us how the product development team at Hask Hair Care decides which products to launch? Sure, of course. For Hask, deciding what products to launch is a process that involves looking at ingredient and product, fragrance and texture trends within the hair care, skincare, and the overall beauty market. We find inspiration not only in beauty, but also through trending and unique exotic ingredients within the beverage, food, and even the wellness categories. We look to the prestige and professional hair care markets for inspiration of new and unique products or forms that we can bring to the mass market at a more affordable price. In addition, we review the white space for our brand, like what is missing in our line or collection, and review feedback from our customers and especially the hairstylists who support our brand. Most importantly, the team at Hask ensures that we love the product before we bring it to market. We do extensive in-house testing as well as consumer testing to get the right products, collections, and fragrances. Runs like a well-oiled machine, I like it. So tell us about one of Hask's top hair care collections. I'd love to. We have the Hask Biotin Boost Collection. This is our thickening collection formulated with a tri-level thickening complex of biotin, collagen, and coffee and the system has four products. The Biotin Shampoo and Conditioner are designed to volumize, strengthen, and fortify hair. They transform your fine flat strands into voluminous, thicker looking, stronger, and softer hair. Sounds like a little of what I need. Then if you're looking for great styling products to create a thicker, fuller look, the Hass Biotin Collection provides two terrific options as well. First, there's the Biotin 5-in-1 Leave-In Spray. This is a multi-benefit leave-in spray designed to add volume and thickness to fine, thin hair. It works small miracles by thickening and adding body, providing thermal protection, controlling frizz and adding shine, preventing breakage, detangling, and moisturizing. And there's also a Hask Biotin Dry Shampoo. Oh, I love a good dry shampoo. Don't we all? (laughs) Designed with ultra-fine rice starch, which provides long-lasting oil absorption, this lightweight formula acts quickly to soak up oil, sweat, and odor, and provides incredible texture. It leaves your hair fresh and clean with visible lip. Amazing stuff. Melanie, thanks to you and Hask for being part of the podcast today. Jamie Lee, it was a pleasure to be here today. Let me leave you and your listeners in the industry with this. The Hask brand welcomes the opportunity to continue building our relationship with the Hollywood styling community. If we can support a project you're working on, send us an email at hask at stonemanagement.net. We'd be happy to help. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with makeup and hair designer, Nana Fisher. Nana is a personal to James Franco. She has been the hair designer for three Ridley Scott films and has had some pretty incredible experiences working in the Colombian Amazon. Boy, does Nana have some stories for you. Hit your up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Nana. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Hey, now I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Nana, <laughs> and, when, <laughs> and when she grew up, she wanted to be 
a hand makeup artist. You did? <laughs> yes. Actually, I did. That's pretty cool. I did, actually. Um, funny you say that, actually, because my mother was in theater. Um, my father was in acting and I kind of, my mother was a single mother, but I grew up backstage on theaters. So I was surrounded theater and actors and sets and stuff since I was a child. So I always, my mother would always find me on the, on the makeup thing and painting my face. Not obviously <laughs> how I, we do it now, more in like a scary way, but there was always bits on my face. <laughs> oh, I love it. So you're always getting into the, into the makeup. That's yes. Awesome. Yes. Colors and uh, material like clays and things like that. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So how old were you when you were doing that? I think I must've been between the age of like, I think between four and five. I started oh doing goodness. things like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Such a cool thing to see at such a young age. Yes. And it, it's so funny because like, because my mother would like, it's theater, it's nighttime, or, you know, it's more in the evening. So like, you know, I'm sure you've been in theaters too, when, you know, before the play starts and there's, it's dark and it's the whispering. So that's, that's one of my most comfortable moments, you know, when you, the, the, the sound of like whispering and it's dark and something is about to start. It's like, because I grew up like that. So every day my mom would take me to the theater. So that's what I would hear. That's so cool. So it's just that, yeah, that quiet whisper yes, and then yes. something exciting is about to start. Yes. And about to yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So <laughs> when did you actually figure out though, that you were like, I can do this as a job? I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but like, so my mother was in theater, then I went to Germany I grew up with my grandparents in boarding school mm-hmm. and my grandparents wanted me to do a proper job like you know most parents want they think something like hair or makeup is not that great so I had to go to school and but then my mother was in still in Japan and involved in theater and I think I was about 17 where I thought like I want to do hair and makeup but I just don't know how to but because of my grandparents I went to school and then the promise was like okay if I do this degree then I can go back to Japan and I could start doing hair and makeup so I guess Mm -hmm. I was like 17 where I really thought you know that's something I really would like to do. So what was the degree that you had to do to keep your grandparents happy? So I went to like med school to become a lab technician. Wow (laughs) that's cool I mean with makeup you end up kind of you know a bit of a lab technician so. Yes and it's like my favorite thing was like taking blood and being in the lab and mixing things and if there was something gory I was always the first one there to watch. <laughs> you know, if somebody came in with like some injuries or whatever, it's like you know, I, I, I need to go and have a look at it. I still have my obsession when somebody falls, and you know, and it's like, oh, let, let, let me take a picture, please, just for references. <laughs> You're like, are you okay? Yeah, cool. Let me take your phone. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Anyone when they tell me about, it, oh, can you take a picture and send it to me? <laughs> That's great. So your your reference catalog must be quite good. It's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> I love it. So after that, you decided, yep, I still want to do hair and makeup. So did yeah. you go back to Japan at that point? So yes. Yeah, so I, I thought like, you know, I wanted to do makeup and the bloods and gores and creatures and things like that. And then when I went to Japan, a friend of my family, she was a makeup artist in Japan. And she said, okay, so to become a makeup artist in Japan, it it goes hand in hand. It's a little bit like Europe, you know, you have to do hair and makeup. You can't just do makeup. Mm-hmm. And so to to do that, you have to go to makeup school. So I went to Shiseido Makeup School where they teach you both. Mm-hmm. It's like a full-time course. And then you have to, 
do like a three-year apprentice in a hair salon before you actually can do your license. And I thought like, I don't really want to do hair, but I thought, okay, that's my only choice. Well, I guess that's the route I have to take. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then while I was doing that, I actually quite enjoyed doing hair, like finger waves. And I got involved with like the company I used to work for. We used to do like runaway shows, like fashion shows, like Tokyo Fashion Week and things. So I was involved with the artistic team and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed that because you have to do both for some reason. And I think it makes sense. It takes longer a little bit to learn hair than makeup. Of course, it's very different when you want to do creatures. But so, yeah, so I, I, I've sidetracked a little bit into hair. And then my plan was then to come to America to do a Joe Blasco course because I wanted mm. to do a creature. But I had an offer to come to, to go to London to work for these amazing companies and to do education and, and platform work. And I thought, you know, London is it's such a creative city too. Like, you know, I love, I love, I'm so, unfortunately, um, I like 80s music, like David Bowie, like all that kind of glam rock. So I thought, like, you know, I tried this and then I go to America. But then I got sidetracked and I stayed in London for quite a long time before. And I went more into the hair and makeup route of, and not so much into the creature world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in London, were you working for a salon? And then... Yes. So yeah. I was hired by the company in London called Cobella, which is Beverly and Anessis Cobella, who have like a couple of salons. Beverly, who is a great mentor and a really, really good friend of mine still, did like British hairdresser of the years. So we were really like on the fashion. So I was running the salons. They had a couple of salons. So I was running some salons and... We were doing like platform work and traveling the globe with educational, within conjunction with Weller and doing hair shows, like which are like kind of very avant-garde. So like quite creative with the hair and makeup. Yeah. And high, yeah, high fashion. It's really yes. like leading the way, isn't yes. it? Yes. And it was very editorial. So it was very exciting, you know? Yeah. So you were getting to do the makeup as well. So that's cool. Yeah. So it was mainly like we were doing the hair shows when we we're doing the platform work. Obviously, I would do the hair shows. But then when we we're doing editorial, then I would dip into makeup too and do both because like when we were doing the shows, you have to design the makeup. So yeah, it was pretty much kind of like an all-rounder then, yes. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So at what point then do you think about doing more film and TV kind of stuff? So it started off like for my my passion for theatre again. So I was doing all the editorial, the travelling and the salon and I wanted to go more a little bit like into theatre, like, you know, like in London theatre is great. I had a few mm-hmm. friends who work in theatre and I just wanted to expand my you know to learn more as well and more about weeks so a friend of mine was working in the theater and I said look you know I know it's in the evening can I come along a couple of times during the week and help you out just to go kind of back like my love for theater and backstage you know and Mm. um, she said yeah I mean I said look you don't have to pay me I just want to come along and help you and learn to block weeks and things like that. So I went along and helped a couple of times in the week. Then she went on a holiday. And then I decided to go part-time with the salon and part-time go into like the editorial, like magazines and theater and stuff. So I was working in the theater and I was doing this play called As You Like It with Sienna Miller, Helen McCrory and Dominic West. And mm. I was doing the hair and Helen McCrory was just about to start a movie called The Queen with um, hair and makeup designer called Daniel Phillips in London. 
Mm-hmm. And Helen said, like, I would like you to to come along if you if you want to. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, this is amazing. I would love to. So she introduced me to Daniel Phillips, who was already crewed up for his film for the Queen, but said, you know, for the next film, I definitely bear you in mind. Okay. And meantime, there was a big film coming to London to Pinewood called Troy with Brad Pitt. And they needed some people in the background. So I put myself forward for that. And I did a couple of days on the set there with Aldo Senoriti, who was also an amazing Italian hair designer. And a couple of months later, Daniel Phillips called me and said, look, I'm doing this film called Venus um, with Peter O'Toole. And would you like to come along? And I said, oh my God, I would love to. Hmm. So that was the beginning. So I did that. That was my first film. And then one thing happened to the other. And then I had a phone call to say, V. Neil was in town in London to do uh, the film called Sweeney Todd and she needs help with hair for Johnny Depp. So do you want to come along and help out and see if if it works? And I went along and worked on that. And then from then on, it was just thing one thing after the other. It just seemed to be like that I was in the film industry for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're on the path. Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing that the like first couple of times actually going to a film set was on something so massive as true. I know. I couldn't believe it. My I think I drove to Pinewood and you know, it's like for us it's like it's like our normal workplace. But I was so impressed. I was like, my God, this is Pinewood. This is so exciting. And you know, the film sets and you know, it was very it was quite profound then for me, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when you were helping on background on on that one, do you yeah. remember like did you make it onto set when you helped out those days, or yes. did you just yeah? Yes, you know what it was very funny because like I was it was like a big crowd and we had to get all those special priests ready and I was mm-hmm. only booked for one day and that was enough for me. I was like that's cool, it's fine, you know. And I went there and because of my background of fashion, I have to say, going back to my education, because my background is hairdressing and fashion and in fashion, you have to turn around so quick. The models come, you know, they come from another show. The hair is very like sprayed to death or glued to death and you got to turn them around very quickly for the show. So I think I was quite used to work very fast and quick. Mm-hmm. So I think the first day I was just in the in the tent or in the room where we got ready, but I was very fast and I remember Aldo coming around and he only speaks Italian so you don't understand a word he says but Mm. I guess like they must have noticed that I was fast and good so then they asked me to come keep coming back and to be perfectly honest like there was other week works which I've never done so I was just literally I had to basically do it there on the spot you know just work it out (laughs) just work it out kind of it's like oh you know when you get a bit of a rush and you think oh my god can I do it yes 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 you can and and then after the second day then we were allowed to go on to set yes and there was like there was like this amazing scene like in Pinewood they built this great set with the lake and you know it's like all like this make-believe. It wasn't real water. It was gel. I mean, we all know that now. But then you think, oh, my God, this is not real water. This is made out of plastic, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I just, uh, it's, it's so cool that your first gig was on something so big. Your eyes must have been like saucers, like just like, oh, my goodness, look at all this stuff. It's amazing. Revelation. Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. So that's cool. So was there somebody that was kind of like, I guess, kind of holding your hand through that, kind of just like guiding you? or? Well, it was like we were all in the crowd room, you know, as you know, when you're in a big crowd room. Yeah. And next to me was this lovely lady and 
name was Teresa Hinton. She was right next to me and she was from Australia. She's worked with him a few times and there was like little things, I, you know, I turned up with everything except the kitchen sink, but there was a few things I didn't have. And she, mm. she kindly gave it to me and um, she was kind of like, you know, this is what we do. And funny enough, I kind of like, I just came back last year. I was um, in Thailand and in Japan. I was doing a film for Netflix. And Teresa lived in Australia and I actually called her and said, would you come to, I asked her a couple of times. I did a film with Exodus with um, Ridley Scott. So I asked her if she would come from Australia. So, you know, she's a great week maker. So I'm still in touch with her. And we had, you know, we worked many times together since then. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Actually, you met her as well and she came out with us on the light between the ocean do you i was gonna say actually yes i I think was it was it tasmania she came tasmania that's right that's right yes oh that's awesome yes that's right i love those relationships i know me too it's great isn't it (laughs) history (laughs) so you're doing you're going your sweeney todd your mamma mia the wolfman king's speech (laughs) hannah x-men like oh my goodness the list is it's Pretty amazing, lady. So at what point, like you, your first head of department job, what mm-hmm. was that? So my, so I did Sweeney Todd and then I did Mamma Mia and the designer, the makeup designer was Tina Earnshaw, mm-hmm. who's a legend as well. And she then, she then, I think through the same producer, who's an amazing producer who I've worked with many times too as well, called Mark Hoffman, had this film in Northern Ireland, Belfast called Your Highness. And she was asked to department had it. Tina does makeup. She doesn't do hair. And she asked me if I would want to come along to do the hair. And that was, you know, before that I did a little key um, hair department. I was helping somebody where I was doing the key. So I was doing mainly the hair, but my proper first hair designing job was on a firm called Your Highness with um, Tina in Belfast. So, and it was a mid- medieval film. It was like a stoner film, but a fantasy. It's like a comedy, right? I, I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a comedy. I quite like it a lot of people's bed, but like, I guess it was like I had great memories. So mm-hmm. it was fantasy and it was medieval. So it was like free fall, you know? So it was so much fun because like for hair to design the hair, you, we could do anything, you know? So, and the direct, that was amazing. So I have to say, I was very, very lucky with that. You know, it was like just being given a plate with lots of toys and say, okay, you know, would, you know, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And was that the first time you met James Franco as well? Yes, that's that's where I met <laughs> James the first time. That's right, yes. That's very cool. And then you guys have worked together a whole bunch since then, right? Yes, it's been now, actually it's come up to 10 years. That's exactly 10 years ago that we did Johannes together. It didn't start off well the first few meetings I have to say but since then we've been yeah it's been 10 years and I've done pretty much pretty much all his movies yes (laughs) I love it you're like "Mm, it didn't start off well but 10 years later we've worked it out (laughs) oh we became really I think it was like it was like a few things was against us he flew in he had only a couple of hours in London because he was in transit. And I remember the director saying that he wanted James to look like, um, God, what's, I'm so bad with name. What's the guy from Lord of the Ring, the good looking one with the longer hair? You know oh, Aragorn? Name? Aragorn, sorry, yes. Hmm. So that was a kind of a little bit of idea how, how the director wanted James to look like. And mm-hmm. James being handsome, but he had short hair. So I'm like, okay, are we going to go down the route of, 
the week or hair extensions, I wanted to just cover every aspect of it because I knew I had only an hour. So thinking of Northern Ireland, it rains a lot. So there's a lot of humidity. So I was thinking I'm probably going to go down more the extensions route, but I just wanted to have a head wrap and a week maybe on standby just in case because you never Mm. know. I always believe I've learned that from actually from Ridley Scott that you have to have as many options as possible. So I always try to cover everything even if you know you end up with that I like to have a you know a standby plan a b c ready so I wanted to have a week ready we wanted to take a week wrap and we wanted to measure a few things and stuff so we only had an hour and there was some kind of strike in London or something I was the only one ready at the hotel and I was supposed to meet Tina and the lady who took the week wrap um, and the colors and stuff like that, they were all late. And I was sitting in the hotel thinking, oh, my God, should I go there about myself? Do I call them? Do I not call them? So anyway, I called him, and he I didn't know it was him at the time, but I said, like, I'm really sorry. Some of my colleagues are a bit running behind, but do you mind, um, should I come up or should I wait? And he said, just just come up when you're here. And then obviously he had very little time. And so it didn't start off well. You know, everyone was a bit flustered and things like mm. that. And then the second time he flew into London and then we were supposed to fly out to Belfast together. And we went, we went down, let's get the extensions done in London and we fly up. My car got torn. <laughs> couldn't find my car so I couldn't get to the salon in time so I was I was late twice in his eyes you know Uh and um (laughs) so they didn't go down too well but then when we're in Ireland we put the extensions in and with extensions it always takes a couple of days until the hair settles you know that Mm -hmm. right but he literally just flew in the day before we started shooting so I had to keep going in and adjusting the extension and things like that and then we had a little bit of a dialogue and it just broke the eyes and then since then we just you know, obviously, ten years later, we are still work together in our friends. So yeah, that's it all. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So the I wanted to touch on a little bit of the like that last show that you did with him, the Deuce, because he's mm-hmm. playing two characters, yes. right? Like he's playing twins. Yes. And then is each season like kind of a different time period? Like it, it, it moves ahead in time, doesn't yes, it? So- yes. So, yes, The Dudes, it's like an HBO show. We shot it over the last four years and it's the creators of the people who did The Wire. Mm. And it's actually based on a true story about those two brothers, the twins. And it's actually the making of Times Square. And it starts off in 1977, then it goes into 1979, and then the last season was 84. So we were jumping from the 70s to the 80s, where there is obviously quite a lot of movement, fashion, hair, politics, a lot of things. So it was very interesting because we had to jump in those time times yes yeah that's awesome so how did you kind of work out how you would make those two brothers look different being that it was the same that it was James playing both people so I think when they did the pilot I think I wasn't I didn't do the pilot for the HBO so it was a little bit established just for the pilot Mm -hmm. and then the first uh, season I came on board so I couldn't change too much and also it's a TV show, so it's super fast, you know, like it had to be something where they can, where we could make him look from one to the other in a really quick, uh, in a very short time period. And because you're yeah. shooting all on location in Manhattan, which was amazing. And sometimes we would have like three moves during the day. We would be, you know, in the in village, then we'd be uptown, then we'd be in Steiner Studios or something. So mm-hmm. it had to be something 
where we could change him very quickly. And also because they had some ideas how they wanted him to look. So for Vincent, we had him, he had like more like floppy hair. They both had the moustache. And then, I mean, if it's very tricky. Like, you know, when the pilot is being established, it's very mm. hard to change too much. So I started changing things a little bit more for season two or season three. It was a little bit more of a layaway. But Frankie, the, the character Frankie was like this kind of like rock and roll, Elvis Presley type, you know, greasy hair, mm. cheeky guy. So he had more like a, I would warm him up a bit more. So he had more of like a tan skin, you know, he had a bit more of darker features. So we would, I would color his hair a little bit darker and his mustache darker. Where Vincent is more the softer guy. So we, I tried to keep his skin tone lighter, softer around the eyes. And the hair was much more, more like a 70s, like, you know, layered haircut. That's very cool. It worked really well. I mean, he did such an amazing job. Oh, he's amazing. Yes. I mean, like, he's such a great actor. And it's like the difference in, it's obviously all in the acting. He plays the brothers, cut the twins so different. So it's like when... When we change him to Frankie, he is like this cheeky chappy. He comes onto set and it's like the energy is different. You know, when he's Vincent, he's different. And, you know, for season two, we had for Vincent, he had more like a Mick Jagger shaggy hairstyle where Frankie stayed kind of the same throughout the whole season. So he was very, Mm -hmm. he'd be the kind of type he wouldn't change his looks because that's him. He puts the grease in his hair. He's got a little poppadon, you know, he's kind of, wears the tighter clothes and Vincent is more because then in season two he becomes the owner of this really well um, known nightclub almost like you know Studio 54 so he's got money so he wears suits so obviously Mm -hmm. working very close with the costume designer as well to figure out what kind of looks and you know hairstyle we wanted and of course James and I we would think we would watch movies from the 77 to 79 and then towards the end it was 84 so we would watch lots of movies from the 84 from 1984 Mm. and come up with like a mood board you know and we would have that all plastered in the trailer so we kind of get the feel of the era I would have magazines from 1984 or whatever season we were in and listen to that kind of music or something. So we were kind of in that kind of like era. We tried to be in that era, you know? That's very cool. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. So what was his look in 84? Did it change again? Did Vincent's change again? So for season three, we wanted James really, we really loved this film called Star 80. I don't know if you know it. It's like, with Eric Robertson. Okay. But we really liked the look of Eric Robertson in a way. It was a fusion between Eric Robertson, um, Robert Palmer, and Richard Gere from um, uh. American Gigolo. So we wanted to have a bit more of a layered, softer haircut, you know? That's cool. Yeah. I love that you're just grabbing from all these different references. That's oh, so yeah. Cool. It's, like, it's like I always try to do that, like, kind of whatever period – you know, trying to really get into it. it starts off with the research that you, I try to pull magazines from that time era or listen to that kind of music or definitely watching movies which were made at that time because, mm. or like news clips or, you know, Googling it on YouTube and things like that. It's That's part of our fun too, isn't it? I mean, oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go down a rabbit hole and yes, it's just like yes. you're obsessed with it for mm-hmm. however long that you're working on it. And I think sometimes too, I found that I end up researching things that I never thought I would know about. Yes. Or, yes. Or people that I never thought I would, 
you know, care to look into. But it's yeah, so fascinating. It's really fascinating. It's really fascinating, and you you learn as well. It's an educational thing, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. We're always learning, aren't we? You're always learning. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we had to change quite a lot, and it was sometimes quite intense because sometimes. You know, with the times, you know what it's like when you have week changes. I mean, he mm. had weeks on. So Vincent, most of the, Vincent always had a week on. Or ha- So the first season we had pieces in for Vincent and the second season he had a week on. The ser- third season he had a week on. So to change it so fast from one look to the other, instead of like struggling with blow drying and washing and all of that, we just went yeah. down the route of like wigging one of the characters and then the other one would be his own hair so but sometimes he was a bit hairy like because sometimes they would say okay we are like we have a location change but then when we're on the next location he needs to be Vincent you know so mm. it was always a bit like oh my god okay we got to change him so sometimes he would even set up like a little station on the street where I would have to cha- put the wig on or something you know in the middle of Manhattan or something <laughs> so it's like, it would just put me a little mirror and then plug in the, the the groups would get me some cable and then I'd be like in the middle of Manhattan putting a wig on James and it was, it's like something like I will probably never forget <laughs> yeah that's so cool that he's such a um team player because he's a director as well and he's very aware of times you know mm. and to be ready and not making anyone wait so you got to be on board that you got to be on on your board so yeah you have to be yeah yeah <laughs> That's very cool. So now you've also worked with Ridley Scott oh, yeah. a few times. Like what, like three films have you done with him? So I did Prometheus, right? The Counselor, Exodus. Yes, three films. Yeah. Yes. So he's he's my hero. Yeah. So how did the he's first <laughs> job with him come along? How did you first okay. get introduced to Ridley Scott? Okay. So the word was out that he was doing Prometheus, the follow-up to Alien, and of course – you worked on Blade Runner, you know what kind of, it's just like, oh my God, you know, it's Ridley Scott, you know, doing the follow-up to Alien. And it's like, yeah. I've, I, I always loved his work because like he's just so visually and so amazing. And I mean, just, so the word was out that Ridley is doing Prometheus and that they're looking for makeup and hair and stuff. And I thought like, you know, there's no chance, you know, I'm just started off and I don't know. And um, (laughs) (laughs) anyhow, so I would just finish the film with Michael Fassbender on X-Men. And he said um, he's going to be in the new, I was like, oh my God, you know, and he was like, I'm going to try to see if I can take you with me. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So anyway, so he obviously must have put the word out and the producer on it was also the producer I did Your Highness with and Ah. so he was like, okay, well, why don't we bring her in see if, you know, bring um, Nana and Tina in to see if Ridley would, you know, gel with them or what they think or whatever. So Mark Hoffman, the producer, called and said, do you want to come in for a little test? And, you know, just bring your staff, bring your colors, bring your wigs and everything and um, come along. So I was like, oh, my God. So I bought, I think, like, I bought everything except the kitchen sink. Like, I bought wigs, I bought colors, I bought crazy colors, everything. So anyway, we're all set up there. Tina is all set up. I'm set up. And he comes in and he has some kind of cutouts of magazines, like, you know, like, you know, you rip out of the Vogue, you know, pages and stuff. Mm. So he comes in and he shows me this really editorial haircut and he goes, can you do this? And I went, yeah, if you give me half an hour, you know, I can do it on this week here. 
but um, I need about half an hour, 45 minutes. And he goes, okay, just show me the pictures. Like, can you do it? I'm like, yeah, I try, you know, 45 minutes. Okay, 45 minutes. And he comes back, he looks at the week and he goes, mm, okay. Then he pulls up another image and he said, can you do this? I'm like, okay, I have to color it. But yeah, if you give me an hour, yeah, okay. So off he goes. I start coloring and stuff. He comes back and he goes like, okay, good. Then he goes, okay, bring Naomi in, who's Naomi Rapaz, who's the leading lady. Yeah. And he goes, um, can you show me something like this? And then Naomi obviously had her ideas as well and we didn't brief me. It's like, you know, I think she should be blonde. So I had loads of um, weeks from Peter Owen, who's also my hero, like um, with me. And I tried different kind of weeks on. Obviously, they were not made for her, but we're doing a fitting and... Mm. and um, he keep coming in and asking me another look I'll do it like then he would come in and he would say okay let's do a camera testimony I'm like whoa 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 what does that mean you know and um, he wanted her to be kind of blonde so I had blonde wigs but in all the boxes I had this like kind of auburn box and Naomi is amazing as an actress too she's like very open and she has her own ideas and he was like oh let's try this let's try that so we tried different kind of wigs on brown short long and Nomi has got this really beautiful, flawless skin and like, beautiful brown eyes. And I had this Albany ready wig in my back. And I said, let me just put this on. And once we put it on, it just looked so beautiful. Mm. And so then the next day we did the camera test and Ridley wanted to see brown and blonde. And we put the wigs on. He goes like, yeah, no, I'm happy with this. I like the blonde. Yeah. And I said to Ridley, he's like, do you want to have a quick look at this red one? This looks pretty nice too. And he goes like, I think I'm good with both. I said, but, you know, maybe just to see. And he goes like, go on then. So we put it on and then he's like, okay, no, this looks good. And then, you know, me and Tina's like, so, I mean, how did it go? Was it a test or did it go well? And then Mark said, I think you guys did really well. And that's how we got the job, you know. So after the characters, we were like, oh, my God. And then, yeah, that's how it started. But um He's my hero. That's I very, think, very yeah. cool. He's amazing. So he made, I love that he made you jump through a few hoops to get there, though, didn't he? Just yes. Like... <laughs> yes. But you know what? There's something about Ridley. He obviously has an incredible eye. I don't think I've met anyone who's got such an amazing eye for shapes, colors, or art, or whatever. I mean, he's just unbelievable. So he would come in, and then he would take – he always has a camera with him. Mm. So he would, you know – when I did the test with Nomi in before the camera test, he'd be like sitting there and, you know, he'd be, Tina would have put this beautiful, flawless makeup on. He'd be like taking pictures with his camera. And then he'd be like, yeah, switch the light off. Yeah, put that light on just in the makeup room. And then he would say, you know, if you put this light on, he's like so incredible with sharing his knowledge too. He's like, you know, this look, this looks better in this light and stuff. So, yeah, but he would, he'd be quite strict, but he's like so knowledgeable that you like, you just, you just like, you know, zap up every word he says. It's like a sponge. You're like, yeah, yeah. What else? What else? You know, he's like. (laughs) So it sounds like he's quite involved, which is awesome. Oh my God. He is so involved. Yes. And he's an amazing sketcher and draws as well. And for one of the characters in Prometheus, it's like Sean Harris. He's got this, um almost that, that mowing tattoo over his face and, you know, a bit more of a Mohican, he would sketch it. So it's mm-hmm. really, it gives you amazing guidance. Also, we did Exodus, so we did like all the Egyptian and he's he's got so much knowledge, you know, about history. I mean, you can ask him anything, he knows it. 
and anything mm. because I'm a visual person as well. And he'd be like, if you want to explain something, he would kind of sketch it for you. He'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And then it's like, yeah, he's very involved in everything. Yes. That's very cool. Yeah. Did he ever get his hands into people's hair? Did he go that far? No, actually, no, he would, he would call you over and he would say, no, he didn't, he doesn't actually, no, he didn't, no. There's one funny story, actually, I'll tell you very quickly. Um, so Michael Fassbender had to be blonde for Prometheus and um, we dyed his hair. Mm-hmm. And he really, really didn't like dyeing his hair very often. So we tried to keep it as long as possible, not to dye it. And this one day we had to do the scene where he sits in I don't know if you've seen Prometheus, where he sits in front of the screen and he watches Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of the Arabia because this character, David, was very influenced by Lawrence of Arabia and Lawrence of Arabia, Peter too, was blonde, blonde, very airy mm. looking, blue eyes, blonde. And so this scene is where he sits in front of the the, the screen and I thought like, you know, he, he, his roots need to be really tip top for that. And um, on the schedule, it looked like that Charlize was shooting in the morning and we'd be on with Michael in the afternoon. So I scheduled Michael in to come in the morning so we can color his hair. Michael comes in the morning and then I hear from above, um, yeah, Ridley wants to shoot with Michael first. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 we got to do his hair first. And it was like this whole look. And we're just like, yeah, no, but, we, you know, today we really need to do the roots and this and the other. And the AD is like, well, come to Ridley, talk to him mm. um, because he wants to shoot it first, you know. So I'm going on to set. I'm like, really, like, you know, his roots are really bad. I mean, you can't be sitting there having his roots done and this and the other, you know, it needs to be so blonde. And then Ridley goes like, so what about if he dyes his hair in the film? Can you do that? And I'm like, I mean, we can pretend he's having his hair. Like we can put some foam in the hair and he sits and watches. And that's how he solves the problem, you know. He, so he's like, on the moment, he just decided then like, okay, so he has kind of roots. So we pretend he actually dyes the hair. Yeah, I remember saying that. Yes, and I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, so we did that, and we kind of solved the problem that way. So I thought that was an uh, um, uh, a story I will remember too. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something that was never gonna be in the film. No, it was like this. I was like, yeah, it was like never supposed to be in the film. I I think I joked and said, "Do I get a little credit for this?" And he's like, "Shut up, man! <laughs> shut up! Just do your job." <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's awesome. So, I mean, Exodus is a pretty huge film. That must have been, where did you shoot that? So Exodus is probably the biggest thing I've done so far film-wise. It was Mm. massive. So we, I had like four months prep, which is quite a lot because I had, yeah. So, and I think at one point I had over 100, 150 hairdressers because we had like we shot in London in Pinewood and then we went mm-hmm. to Spain and then we went to the Canary Islands and wow. we had huge battle scenes. We had huge Egyptian scenes and things like that. So, you know, at one point I would have like, you know, 200 people in crowd, 75 people in, in the stunt on horses and then our main truck. So I would get up at three or four in the morning. Me and Tina would get up at three and four in the morning, go into the crowd make sure that everyone's got what they needed. And then we would go then the, the, so the crowd was set up like about half an hour somewhere else, their base. Yeah. I'd have to take a car. And then I would go to the stunt. There was another 75 stunt team where we had a separate tent for that. And then, you know, our base. So it was quite incredible, but um, 
Ridley, again, in the beginning, he's like, you know, you must read this. He would give you loads of films to watch, books to read, you know, like photograph to research. He sent me and Tina to the British Museum. There was a specialist about Egyptian culture. He would give us, you know, like talks about, because we had to really like research the looks, you know, like there's like such a class system also with hair and makeup, you know, like the really, really low class people would have, they all shave their hair because of hygiene reasons. So mm. all the shapes of the head, like the shapes, the material, the wigs were made. Some, you know, the low class people, they had, they, their wigs were made from straw and things like that. Then going up to the high class, you know, it's very, very, very differently. So we would go to the British Museum and talk to the specialist. And then I would, I mean, I didn't have just hairdressers actually. So three months before I started prep and I had about like, I think 30 people with me on board for prep because we were building the wigs. So, yeah. and it wasn't just normal wig making. We would, I had a couple of people who were like hat makers, you know, so we would create like little bases with hat things and then I would glue material on it or I would, we would take wool, I would dip it in clay and then gloss it and then paint it in gold and then glue it onto the shapes. We would have all those people coming in. We would take molds of the head shape so we can create this hard base so we can glue things on it. So it was incredible, really, before we even started shooting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love too that he's just like, I've researched all of this stuff. I need you to do the same thing. So when I talk to you about things, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) You can get this (laughs) vision into your head. That's amazing. Yes. And he would tell you, but he does it so amazingly. He would tell you a story about something. And then he would tell, you know, if you look at this book and you watch this movie, then just, you know, this bit there. And so it's like, he's such an incredible leader in any, in any sense that he gets you so excited that you just mm. go, you would go to the moon and back, you know, just because it's also joy. It's fun too. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So was he quite, did he have an eye for like background and stuff like that? So he was paying attention to everything. Cause I know some directors mm-hmm. are very focused on their cast and mm-hmm. backgrounds, like another like yes. in the back of their mind, but is he quite, aware of everything he is very he's got like I said before he's got an incredible eye Um, obviously his eye is like shark I mean very for the main cast like everything gets tested before which was great for me and Tina we would do loads and loads of camera tests Mm. not just one we would like do many you know and then again like that's the thing where I learned from Ridley it's like have many options so even for one character we would do five different looks and then put it on camera and then we would all watch it all together and you know he would give comments what works what doesn't work and things like that so very very involved that but in the background as well so we had different kind of like you know we had the Egyptian then we had the Jewish people, then we had like, you know, all those different like levels of servants and the army people. And so every look had to be Mm. approved by Ridley. And that's why we had so much time too. So once you start shooting pretty much, you, you know what you're doing, which is, you know, so easy as well then, you know? And of course there's other people who join constantly, but you would, they would always, production in you know mark and Ridley, they would always give you enough time to prep it properly and test it so there'd be no surprises basically on the day which is very reassuring for us isn't it oh it's so amazing i just wish it happened more i feel like it's a dying thing 
proper preparation like it's Mm. it's so important that's so cool now I want to hear a little bit about um the lost city of Z because (laughs) I know we've we've had little conversations about this and I'm always like what this is crazy so how did you how did you get onto that project okay so yeah that was quite and a project I have to say so I was in London and my um, lovely agent, US2, Daniela, calls me and says, so I got this film, which is a really amazing director, and it's shot in um, London, Belfast, and in Colombia. And it's a period film. I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds great. And she's like, yeah, we sent you the script over, this and the other. So I start reading the script, and it's like deep in the Amazonian jungle, pretty much 80% of the film. Mm-hmm. And... But it was such a feast when I was reading it. It's about, it's like the original Indiana Jones. He goes into the jungle, but it's it's period. It's set in the 1920s, you know, so you have period in England. Then you have like all, there was like six or eight different kind of indigenous tribes in the jungle. There's aging. There was like 16th century opera scene in the jungle. So I'm like, oh, wow, you know, body pains you know, indigenous makeup, aging, period. I'm like, wow, this is such a feast. So I'm like, oh, my God, yes, I would love to do it. Then my agent goes like, yes. So most of the time you'd be in Colombia. And then I was like, I have a fear of mosquitoes and I'm highly mm-hmm. allergic to it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. um, Daniela, how, how long are we going to be in the jungle? And she goes like, I think may, most of the time you'd be in the jungle. So I was like, okay, now I don't know if I can, and then I'm also not very good in heat and humidity. And I'm like, um, okay, so how long is that going to be? Like, how hot is it? So, you know, that just goes through your head. You obviously don't say that, but I went to actually to a hypnotist to get over my, I thought first, like, I don't know if I can do this physically, like mosquitoes, being in a jungle and all of this, you know? So yeah. I went to a hypnotist to, to, to help me with my anxieties from mosquitoes. But I thought, okay, I got to do it. This is something like a life challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. So I meet up with James Gray, who's this, who's also like, I'm just so lucky, I guess, with the directors and an amazing director too, very knowledgeable and very, very creative. Also got an incredible eye, quite quirky and had a meeting, got the job. So then we started off in Belfast and we did all the English bits, you know, with the period, with the boards, with the military, where we had Second World War. So we had trenches as well. We shot that all. And then we went so we started off with all that part, which was controlled in the studios and everything. And then we knew we would go to the jungle. So the looks for the jungle for the indigenous people, some of the tribes, the James and Anthony Katakis, they wanted to have like, we were looking at different tribes. Like there's this tribe called the Red Tribe where they're all painted in red mm-hmm. and have like those pudding ball hairdos. Then there's another tribe where they sh- the women shave off the hair halfway through. They ha- all have long hair. And the producer said, like, you know, we're going to go to Colombia right into the Amazonian jungle and we're going to find real indigenous people. So, you know, it should be easy and straightforward and stuff. So I'm like, that's great. And, you know, we had, they had some real indigenous scout people going into all those indigenous villages to scout people. And oh, so yeah. I thought, like, okay, I'm going to get a new again. There was many challenges, actually, for the jungle. So I, first of all, Charlie Ahanen had to age. So there was a route of like, do we use prosthetic or do we do old stipple? We tested many things. We thought about in the heat, in the humidity. Then I was told that we 
would have to track and, you know, hike through the jungle. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you put the pieces on. By the time you're on set, you hike through it, the pieces down on your chin, you know. So yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe go down the stipple like the old-fashioned way. So we decided that was that. And then mm-hmm. with the indigenous people, because it's so hot there and humid, that I thought, okay, I'm going to get pug paints done in in all the color themes, which we decided, the director, and we all decided to go to a pug paint made in England and then have it shipped over to Colombia. I had, you know, we wanted to do body tattoos. So I had all like the tattoos made in England. So because also you're in the jungle, you you walk in nature, you have only limited time mm. to shoot because of the sunlight. So, you know, we had to think and I was, thank God, I was allowed to take all my amazing team with me from London. Yeah. So we had to think about like how we can do it very quick and stuff. So we had everything organized, me, Clarice, Lois and Biddy. We had it all organized, made in time for it to be shipped to go to Colombia. So off we go to Colombia, we get there and we are in a place, it doesn't even have a name. The hotel is basically... 30 kilometers north from Santa Marta, which is the closest village. Mm-hmm. So we, we got there and it's this most amazing thing, beautiful place. It's basically very north of Colombia and very close south to the Venezuelan borderline. And it's where the really deep Amazon jungle is really. And there's a little river, which there's a little glacier, which is like 50 miles up, which is white. And then there's this river all the way going through, wiggling through down to the ocean, and all in we were shooting all in the jungle bit. So, for example, our day would be like waking up super early. We would then go on a four by four. We go to the river bank where they had our base, where we would get everyone ready, and mm. then they would shovel us into those little wooden boats up the river. We would every day we wouldn't know where our location. We just know we get on a boat. We go up the river and then it's another 45 minutes hiking through the jungle before we get to our location. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, gee. So, you know, we all got really fit. And, I mean, the first day I got there, I was so hot. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, it's exhausting. But, you know, like, you know what it's like, you know, you have to have your gear with you. And it's like you got you have to learn to get everything ready and whatever you take on set, because you cannot just, oh, I take the boat, the river, the hike, and go back to base and pick up my bottle of spirit gum or something like that. You know, yeah. you had to be so organized. So, I mean, thank God for Georgia with, what's it called, the belt? Linear standby. Yeah. Yes, because we all had those. That's our only thing we could carry, and then maybe one on the shoulder, because A, so hot, you got to really hike and it's like I mean there's monkeys crocodiles snakes you know so you had to be really diligent with what you wear what you carry sometimes you'd be like literally climbing along I remember like one day we were like climbing Robert Patterson was in front of me and he tried to help me I was like no if you put your foot on that stone and then you pull yourself then you can help me hoiking myself over to the other side you know it was just like sometimes like like mission impossible we would laugh it was like quite incredible. So anyway, going back to the makeup thing. So we're there and then we get into the indigenous things and we meet all those indigenous people. And for some reason, they're all huge football fans. So when we met them, instead of us all imagine them having really long, dark hair, you know, and some tribes had, but mm. most of them had really short, very super football, like, you know, shaved on the side, Ronaldo haircuts. And I'm yeah. like... Oh my God, what are we going to do? So then 
we had to have like I had loads of weeks with me, but we had to week pretty much everyone. And then when it came to the body paint, so we shipped our stuff way ahead because of all the customs and everything. So it had to be really organized. Anyway, we're setting all everything up and it's like we're waiting for the paint and all of a sudden it's not just my department, it was the same with costume, with camera and everything. They held everything in custom. Certain oh. things got held. Some certain things got released very slowly. The costume got released, camera got released, but my pack paint and certain of my special paints, like the illustrator card, they all got held in custom. And the reason why they wouldn't release it is because it contains alcohol and acid. Now. They wouldn't release it because of all the cocaine, like Pablo Escobar, the river where we would go up the river is where Pablo had all his cocaine fields. I mean, we would pass them too. So because of the drug problem in Colombia, they wouldn't release our makeup. <laughs> we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And it was like, it's, and their t- production tried everything, you know, um, mm. to explain what we're doing and things like, no, we wouldn't release it in time. So we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So we were very lucky to pick up a couple of very lovely Colombian hair and makeup people. And we were, our base was by this hotel by the beach and we were going for a walk. And, we, and, and then I don't know who it was actually, but somebody picked up a charcoal and said, what about if we, you know, charcoal this and and uh, mix it with vaseline and stuff like that and then yeah what about if you use some berries and what about if we go to santa Mart back to santa Mart and buy some kitties paint i mean we had our kit with it but like certain pigment colors yeah we didn't so we had a few mac things but not enough so then i mean it was like really going back to basics and thinking out of the box we just like then collected charcoal from the beach we went into the kitchen of the hotel we bought the cheese grater we started cheese grating the charcoal smashing it and mixing it with vaseline or water and berries and with water and flour and and that's how we ended up with the paint for the indigenous people and we showed it to James the director and he goes like you know that's what they would have done (laughs) in those days (laughs) so it looks very authentic so then we would have like amazing um because it's indigenous well they had like those some of the um, local had those little wooden rolls we would dip the dye into the walls and then we would roll it over the bodies and it would create those amazing patterns and stuff like that. Uh, okay. mm-hmm. So it was like, it was pretty much an incredible experience as a makeup artist from a makeup artist point because you had to throw everything away and just do, do. But it was like kind of almost like zeitgeist at that time, you know, it's like that's what they would have done, those people at the time, you know. Yeah. But we felt it was kind of authentic. So was like a really good lesson to go back down to roots and we and we had so much fun because like every day we would be like flooded or you know there'd be crocodiles or somebody got bitten by a snake and every day you were in such danger there was like there were buses blowing up in front of us because of the Venezuelan border every day there was like you know Charlie Hannon had like nearly his ear eaten up by a bug inside. Like, you know, there was every day there was somebody oh had to be carried away or something. Somebody got bitten um, by a snake in the leg and the indigenous chief went straight down and sucked up the poison out his leg. And then otherwise he would have died. And I mean, like it's things of we all like still 
you know, bats frying our faces and stuff. It was so hot. We would just walk with our clothes into the river and pass a crocodile and think, oh, fuck it, it's so hot, I don't care. And you know, it was like, you're so hot that you think, I don't care. It's like one day we had this huge scene um, where James Gray flew in this opera singer group, the, the, the people who sing opera for this piece of music where James wanted to have real opera singers. Mm. Inside the jungle, we had, they had to build the stage and, and had those people, we had them in like 16th century dresses with big white wigs with ships in it and everything. And he wanted to shoot that in the jungle. We were like, okay, he wants to shoot in the jungle. We shoot it in the jungle. So they had all those clothes and we start shooting and our base was in like this little dip. It was like a mm-hmm. little dip. We had all our weeks there and stuff like that. So we, we're about to shoot the 16th century opera piece. It's so beautiful. And it starts thundering and raining to oh the God. point that everything went out. We had to hide under the stage. And can you imagine the 16th century weeks? We're like, no, thank you, we're right. It's going to go quick. It. I don't want a piece. I like, you know, it's like the costume woman is like, we're all like, you know, like in a panic because like there was not, not much where we could shelter. And, then we had, then somebody said, you know, the base is in floods. So I'm like going back in a car, back to the base. And basically the, the base was in floods down to my thighs. And I open up the tent where all our weeks are, and the table is floating. The weeks are floating. I, oh remember, my like, God. I just remember just going in with my hands, picking up floating weeks, going, no, my weeks. <laughs> oh my god i mean it was like and then the end of the day we'd be like my god can you believe we survived again today but everyone who was on the job like in my team we all say it was the most incredible job we ever done because it's such a life challenge too you know but you're creative within and every day you're faced with something else but it's like you feel so alive you know, mm. it was incredible, really. <laughs> I think it's, it's, there's something deeply disturbed about people in the film industry because we oh, just yes. love stuff like that. It's just that massive challenge of just like, <laughs> no, I can do it. We can do it. We're going to do it. We're going to stay awake for 24 right. hours and get this done. I it's mean- just. So crazy. So I mean, the same with you were with me on the night between the ocean. Remember, sometimes we had to lie in the grass to hide. Like, (laughs) no, just lie down, lie down. Don't show you. Don't pop up. Just lie there. You know. (laughs) I know. You're like, what am I doing? It's like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that film really tested your troubleshooting skills, didn't it? To be able to get that makeup done from oh my god yes it was it was like in general it was very humbling as a human being as well um because like you know you all have to work under such extreme circumstances I mean bugs you know the heat the you know the location and you know you have to work with people you know like with some some of the crew you don't understand the language but your life is dependent on it you know we were on like on the sandbag and then all of a sudden flood and you know it's it's just unbelievable what you go through but then also the indigenous people they're real indigenous people Mm. they have the most amazing faces and also they have their culture and their tradition and one of the things which was in the beginning, which was really hard as well, is like the man wouldn't want to be touched by a woman. So we had mm. to, I had to paint them all red or paint their faces or paint things on their face and things. And 
in the beginning, they, you could see that there was this resistance and they're like, they want to, they don't want to be touched by a woman. So like, all my, mm. you know, the girls, we were, there was, we had one guy with us, but we were all girls. And, but then after two weeks, it's like this, this understand, we could not understand each other, but like after a week, there was like they have they're the most incredible souls that they kind of let you in, and then you become yeah they accept you, and then they become warm, and then it's it's it was just the most amazing thing really, if I think back now. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. And I mean, you survived, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, we did Adasta with uh, Joe's uh, Gray, and I remember him saying, "You know, you came with me to the jungle." I'm like, "Yeah," and now I'm going with you into the stars. I go anywhere with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ed Estra was a lot easier. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, very different. <laughs> you just had to sit in traffic for however long to get to work every day. That that's was it. Your... That's the only yeah. challenge. <laughs> that's so cool. Now you've done because you've done your head of department work and you've been a personal. Mm-hmm. What what do you find are the pros and cons of like being a personal versus being a head of department? Okay, so starting with the head of department, which I, I love both, you know, I'm mm. very, very fortunate that I had the opportunity to be able to do both. I also like working the team or in the background. I like it all. Being a head of department, which is great, is like because you're really involved with the whole look. You can work, I mean, the same with personal, but it's like, it's like a feast, isn't it? It's like you've been given all the tools and it's you can work with other people. So, you know, you ha- you can work with a team, which I love doing, you know, when you have a great team, you can bounce off each other. Everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses, you know, not everyone is good in one thing. So you can delegate, you can work with people who are better than you and stuff like that. And you can create the whole picture. So that's really fun. Yeah. And it's really, really busy, which I love too. And it's a lot of problem solving, which I love too. I think I'm quite good working under pressure and solving the problem then and then. I think I kind of thrive on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I love that and I love being in the team, you know. And it's nice to see, I know it's not so much in America, but in England it's like you have your junior, so you can really, you know, teach the juniors and see how they progress from the junior to make up then you become a grown-up, you know, and then become a key and stuff. It's nice to see the process that you can share things and work in a team and, you know, work very closely with the producers and the directors and the vision with the actors and stuff like that. I love that. Yeah. That's a pro. The con, I guess it's like, I don't mind being busy, but I guess it's the hours. You sleep very little. You don't have a life (laughs) except work. (laughs) I guess that's the con. And then with the personal, which is like kind of a, a novelty, isn't it? Because you can just solely focus on that person, you know. Mm-hmm. The beauty about it is that you can really give your 100 and 200 to that one person, to that character, to that storyline, to that character. You're there from every little thing. You know, when you're as a head of department, you got to delegate, so you got to let people off on second unit. You don't see everything, but you trust people. Well, when you're a personal, like, you're there, you know, to the little tiny flick you're there to everything so it's like very detailed I'd say yeah you work really closely with the actor and sometimes I think when you're personal you sometimes work deeper on the character you create with the actor maybe you know and also obviously you work with the producers and the directors too but it's it's um it's a novelty I think sometimes because you have more time 
in mm-hmm. general, you know, where when you run a department, you just like uh, go from one place to another. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're not, quite spread out, you're aren't spread you? Spread out you in your brain. Think of many things. Yeah, and it's not just focusing on one thing. You're thinking about so many different other things at the same time. Mm. And you're constantly worried, like, have I forgotten about this? Is this okay? Is this being covered? Where you don't have that worry with one personal. So you can delegate yourself completely to this one character and one person. I say that's the difference, maybe. The con is, I guess, that you sometimes only work when they work. So you have, I mean, it's a pro as well. Then you can explore and do other things, I guess. You mean like the the days that they're shooting yeah. are the only days that you're working and then when they have a day off, you have a day off too? Yes, yes, yes. Which I'm sure is definitely nice when you're on location. Yeah, when you're on location, it's great. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a balance. In it's like you know, if you can be lucky that you sometimes do head of department, sometimes person, sometimes in team. It's just all about balance, I guess. So, lady, with all the locations that you have worked around the around the globe, what would have to be a favorite? God, lady, that's such a difficult question because, like, I think every location has its beauty. But I mean, I have mm. to say, going back to your country, I do remember I've never seen something as beautiful as New Zealand. I remember when I would drive to to work, I think we were staying in Blenheim and then we would have to drive to the lighthouse. You know, sometimes you remember Derek wants to shoot in at sunrise, so you have to leave so early. And I remember driving and, um, you know, you're the only one on the street and driving over this hill. And then on top of the hill, the sun just came up a bit and the scenery was like, I do remember that still profoundly now that my I could... I touched my heart because I was so touched by the beauty of the nature, you know? <laughs> I was like, wow, this is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, every, every, I mean, another time where I thought like, wow, we're so lucky. It's like when I was with Ridley on the counselor, we were shooting in Almeria in the desert. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene where Kamen Diaz has, have you ever him? They have those two cheetahs, those two cats, right? Mm-hmm. And he had this cheetah handler and, it was said that whenever the cats would come onto set, we would all have to stop and not move. So the cats could come onto set and then they can register everyone on set and then we would have to start moving slowly. So, because they're still wild animals, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm standing there and I just happened to stand next to Ridley and one of the cheetah comes by and it's purring, you know, and it's almost like a machine. It's like, and you're a little bit nervous because like this wild animal is coming onto set. So you're a little bit nervous anyway. And it came right past me and Ridley. In Almeria, they have this incredible desert, which they shoot, shot all the spaghetti western. So it's like the scenery is incredible. So I remember standing that cat walking by me, purring, standing on the set and thinking, Jesus Christ, this is unbelievable. And I said to Ridley, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe how lucky we are. And I remember him saying, it's like, yes, if you love what you're doing for work, it's not work. We're so lucky. Mm. And I remember that. And standing there, you know, with this wild animal and on this film set, I do remember that very clearly too. That was special too. Just having that moment. I yeah. think it's, it's a nice reminder to every now and again, even just to stop and look at, because you get so busy and so tied up in what's happening. Yes. To just stop every now and again and go, Absolutely. look at where we are. Exactly. This is amazing. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, usually, usually you're constantly like, where do I have to go? Who do I have to check? So you're so not aware. But I think that moment is like, because we all had to stop. And I looked around and said, my, this is amazing. What a beautiful scenery. You know, the weather was perfect. And it's, yeah, exactly like you say, you stop and you're like, hang on a minute. You know, we are this crazy circus 
all those crazy people, we're all a bit like nuts. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> wait a minute, but we're in this most amazing situation right now. Okay, let's just stop a second and take it in. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've arrived at work on a location mm-hmm. when it's dark mm-hmm. and I've gone into the trailer. Yeah. We've worked and worked and worked and then opened the door to walk out of the trailer and the sun's come up and yeah. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. And I'll be like, guys, have you seen where we are? This is amazing. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. Jamie. It's like the lights are turned on and you're like, it's whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's just oh yeah and sometimes it's, it's also the opposite isn't it what the heck are we doing here <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like uh-oh or it starts raining and you're like it's just mud outside it's mud up to my knees oh what are we doing here <laughs> exactly it's both ways but um I guess that comes with our job isn't it Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what kind of project have you not done yeah. that you would like to? Oh, okay. What I have not done. I think I would love, I mean, it's my background, but I would love to do something like, you know, a film with really high fashion, like almost like editorial or something like that, where you can just go nuts with editorial makeup and just push it almost to the, you know, avant-garde way. Yeah. I would love to do that. That would be cool. Yeah. Yes. I also like fantasy. Like I, I always get quite excited by fantasy and stuff because it's like it, you can come up with something or you can try You try to come mm. up with something which hasn't been done. I would like to push, like, you know, try to challenge like that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're creating the look for a, a world that is being created for that film, it's pretty amazing. Yes, that's that's the most incredible luckiest thing I would say you know and period is fun too period is always I mean I mean I was I worked most of my time in England and like period is very very well respected then I think period is also like a honoring the time of that time and there's a lot of like material and research and things like that and that's beautiful like special for hair work you know it's quite very nice work to be done there too absolutely yeah i think the period work that comes out of england is amazing oh here too i mean here america too but nobody does it like england though (laughs) (laughs) they're pretty good yes so we were saying earlier that you're constantly learning so is there something that you've learned recently that you are excited about i think i learned something like for, for example, I did this film in Japan, in Bangkok, it's called Kate, which is going to come out in for Netflix. And the, the character, I can't talk too much about it, I think, I don't know, but um, it, it, she had to change the look so many times. And so you depends on where we were, we had to, we were really, really challenged. Yeah, I think, I think there was like a, a lot of, I had to do a lot of coloring stuff. So I learned quite a lot with coloring, actually, because even though my background is hair and stuff like that, I had to learn a lot about coloring and working with Asian hair, even though I'm Japanese. But like there was it was like really particularly colors we had to do. So there there was some new stuff I had to learn there. Okay, so like hair, like chemically coloring hair techniques. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's always room to learn with that one. And especially with the colors now, you know, it's not just your blondes, your browns, they were like kind of specific colors and stuff like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. to really get the right tone that, that, that took quite a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. I still remember working in the salon when I finally felt like I'd figured out color correction. Yes. Because it, it takes a minute, like. Yes, 
to have somebody sit in your chair and it's just like, okay, so that needs to be this and this needs to be that. And what do I use to make that happen? Okay. And it's like this little science lab out the back. And yeah, I just still remember because I was working with a lot of blondes and color correcting it. So it looked good instead of the you know, crap that they were walking in with. It's so nuanced, isn't it? The nuance is so, yes. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing. I find it, I find it fascinating. It's fascinating. And it's also like every hair reacts different. So it's not that predictable. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -mm. So it's like, it's not like, I mean, obviously you have a formula. It's a calculation you have to do. And I, again, also like learning with the skin tones, like in the heat, you know, with different, like the texture, it's it's like, you're constantly learning. It's like, Thailand was very, very hot and humid. And then we went to Japan. So the hair and the skin, the makeup reacted different to the temperature too. So, it, But you had to look the same on camera. So we had to figure that out. So that was a big oh, wow. learning curve, yes. Because then yeah. by the time we got to Japan, it was almost winter. So right. we jumped from the heat to to the cold. So everything looked different. Even like the grease, it's the same way you put it into the hair or the same base you put onto the skin it reacted different to the skin and to the hair. So that was a big learning curve to adjust the colors and the textures then. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what was that on? Um, so it's a film called Kate. Mm-hmm. It's for Netflix. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We can look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you what one tool or product would you never want to be without? Oh, okay. One tool <laughs> or product. There's so Don't many. worry. I'm not going to take all your things off you no, no, and no, no, just no. leave you with that one. <laughs> I tell you one, okay, but you know, it changes, depends on the job, but there's so many. I mean, I'm such a, I'm such a, uh, what you call it. I like to have so many different things, but one tool, so it's a Japanese geisha comb, which is made from a bamboo. So it's like pointy and it's long and pointy. So it's like a geisha Mm -hmm. comb, which I use. It's my lucky comb and I can use it for anything. So if I be, I don't know, if you put me somewhere and I can only have one thing for hair, I probably would take that. Okay. And makeup wise, gosh, makeup wise is very difficult. There's so many, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Eyelash curtain. No. Um, <laughs> that's for me. That's for me. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess my Chanel basis, maybe. Your what? Sorry? Chanel basis. Oh, yeah. Chanel okay. basis. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Or maybe hang on a minute. Maybe it'd be like a really good bronzer. Like I like this. Yeah, maybe like a bronzer because everyone looks a bit better. I don't know. It's so hard. I can give you a whole list if you want, but um, it's so hard to say. I know, and I I'm not sure if anybody I've asked has been able to give me one answer. Oh really? Oh oh, or maybe this. Oh oh, and maybe this. That's just like yeah. Or the brushes, my makeup. I don't know. I use my hands too. I don't know. It's very hard. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um, and what one person would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh, okay. So I think, well, there's a few people who would be great. Can I give you, um, <laughs> uh, top of my head, I would say three people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I run the Bayou. So I think Tina Earnshaw, who's given me one of my first breaks. She's a lovely, lovely lady who did okay, makeup awesome. for Titanic and stuff. The talented mm-hmm. Ripley. She's really lovely and she's funny too. She would tell you some fun stories. Um, nice. Another one who I would recommend is like Paul Gooch, who's an incredible hair and makeup all-rounder too. Yeah. And the third person I would say is V. Neal because I learned a lot from her and she is like a legend in makeup, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So top of my head, those three. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me today, Nana. I have loved hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.